from idea to exit, or how you can turn a personal pain point into a seven-figure payday. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because the riches are in the niches. Super inspiring story for you today. I'm excited to introduce Donald Spann from donaldspann.com. Don took a personal pain point of his handling incoming calls in his cleaning business and turned it into a six-figure virtual call center, eventually selling it late last year in a seven-figure exit. Stick around in this episode to hear how he found his first clients, what worked in terms of marketing and sales, and how you can apply some of the same strategies to a business of your own. Notes and links for this one, along with the full text summary with all of Donald's top tips from the call, are at sidehustlenation.com slash Donald. Now, as you begin to land some customers yourself, you may hear these magic words, send me the invoice. That's when you start your 30-day free trial of our sponsor, FreshBooks, at freshbooks.com slash sidehustle, and you whip up a custom, branded, professional-looking invoice in just 30 seconds, and you get paid fast. Now, one cool thing that you can do with FreshBooks, aside from having all your bookkeeping and accounting in one place in the cloud, is sending automatic recurring invoices. And I think that's just perfect for the type of service that we're talking about today. Once again, I want to invite you to start your 30-day free trial over at freshbooks.com slash side hustle and enter the side hustle show in the how did you hear about us section. I'll be back with my top takeaways from this chat with Donald after the interview. Ready? Let's do it. I started a cleaning company in really late 2013 and started to get rolling in 2014. Toward the end of 2014, myself and another fellow cleaning company owner in a different date, we started around the same time. We dealt with some of the same issues and obstacles around the same time. We both sort of collectively decided, I'm sick of answering my own phone. We were getting too many calls and and dealing with other things concerning running the business. So I started to look into the options. I didn't love any of the options that were available at the time. And the whole entrepreneurial mindset, suddenly I was wondering if I could reverse engineer the process, right? (laughs) So basically, I looked into the top three companies that I thought was the most interesting. Like for a virtual assistant or like a specifically virtual receptionist service? Specifically, virtual receptionist companies. And when we first looked into it, I I didn't realize that virtual receptionist companies really existed. I thought it was virtual assistant or like an answering service. So the virtual receptionist thing is is sort of like a fancy answering service, higher level of sort of standards. So to make a long story short, I, I looked into Ruby, Gabbyville, and one other, and I just sort of pulled together what I could. And after literally like three or four hours of quote-unquote market research, I got excited and I called one guy, talked to him for 10 minutes, and he said he was too busy. I called the other guy, 10 minutes, conversation, and he was in. (laughs) That was late October 2014, and we set a launch date of January 1st, 2015, and we ended up launching that that day. So... The original idea is born from a pain point of your own. And it's interesting. We had Chris Schwab on talking about his cleaning company, and he called it the trough of despair, where you're you're making money, you've got great revenue, but you can't really afford to hire somebody full-time to deal with this phone answering service, the scheduling type of thing. 
So he's turning, and he ended up creating his own agency as well. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. <laughs> so you say, okay, if I'm feeling this pain, there's got to be other companies out there dealing with this as well. You set the launch date. What happens next? Yes, it's nice that you mentioned Chris. He's actually a good friend of mine. Oh, nice. So what happened next was we were involved in a few, well, one Reddit. There was a Reddit sort of subreddit called Entrepreneur Ride Along that we followed. And that contained a tremendous amount of information about starting a cleaning company. Birth from that was a rather large Facebook group, even at the time, called Launch 27 Domination. And within that group, ourselves as well as other people were already asking about pretty frequently, how are you getting your phones answered? So we decided to center our pre-launch marketing around being the solution to that problem. And so we sort of marketed and angled ourselves or positioned ourselves to be a call center for cleaning company owners by cleaning company owners. <laughs> it resonated with a lot of people. And there was some pretty quick excitement, and that excitement was a feedback loop for us to make sure we hit the launch date, having a setup in terms of our pre-launch marketing email. We just threw together something really quick on MailChimp, and I immediately started doing research. My initial thought was that I'd be able to, as a non-programmer, string together a few lines of code on Twilio, and that was now we know today that there was no way that was ever going to happen. So I stumbled on the software we went with. I honestly, to this day, cannot remember the name of it anymore because we switched off two months in. But the main premise was just to get a uh, phone answering software selected and hire a few agents that we could trust and that we thought to be reliable. Oh, okay. Because there's a lot of technical stuff that goes into this with call routing and showing the right scripts for the right companies to the right receptionists. So there were some off-the-shelf software solutions that already did that. It was just a matter of plugging those in and then plugging client phone numbers into that system. So what we did was we tried to simplify it as much as possible. Rather than doing a, a hardcore verbatim or word-for-word scripting process, we generally ask people that, or clients that sign up, incoming clients, to submit their regular info and then an onboarding form. And in the onboarding form, they'll give us their desired workflow for certain categories of calls. So for instance, if it's a law firm we're taking calls for and they have a fellow attorney call, how do we handle it? You know, are we transferring the call? Are we taking a message? Is there a specific person for this type of caller? Right. So once we had those guidelines in place, it was easier to sort of take those guidelines and put them in a system for that. Yeah, and all that stuff's got to show up in front of the receptionist to get on their screen instantly. Right, right. And so I had prior experience with a CRM called Solve 360 CRM, and it's just a fantastic system. And so there was an integration with the phone system software. So all, all I had to do was create a profile for each client, input the instructions in there, and then through the integration, that profile page would pop up in the phone system software for the agent that was answering. Okay. And you don't remember the phone system software because it didn't last very long. Sounds like you made a switch pretty early on. Yeah, we made a switch. The one that we ended up eventually going to that is the best one for us to date 
and we went through six different vendors at five nine. Do you mind sharing what the startup costs look like for something like this? Just software, any hardware required? Yeah. So in the very beginning, we actually weren't in the hole very far. I tried to, you know, be as lean as possible. We ended up hiring two agents. And those agents agreed to be paid their first paycheck at the end of the entire, like the full month. So that gave us some time to sort of hustle and land as many clients and, you know, gain some initial revenue, right, to offset that salary. And so when we launched on January 1st, we ended up with, I think, seven signups first day. And by the end of the first week, we had about 10. Okay. And those came from being a part of these groups of your target customer, like you were already embedded in these communities. And in a lot of ways, you were your target customer. Exactly. Yeah. So we built things with our companies in mind, which, you know, mapped up with the needs of our target customers. And, you know, we posted in the group, we, we didn't want to take too much advantage because it wasn't our group, but we had permission from the group owner. So yeah, we launched to seven people that signed up. Again, by the end of the week, it was roughly 10. We needed to get to 20 to cover the cost. So the cost were two agents at about, uh, I think 1600 per month. The phone system at the time was about 150 per agent per month. Then you had the miscellaneous costs like, like G Suite, the email platform. And we didn't spend any money on marketing at the time. So we ended up being in the hole around 1500 at launch. And then by the end of the first month, I think we were in the hole about $2,800. So really not that much at all. Yeah, compared to what you might spend uh, getting another type of business off the ground. And it's this is the challenge of something like this is like, how do you know how many people to hire versus how many customers you're going to have? Because you're promising, hey, we're going to answer your phones. But if you don't have enough receptionists on the other side, then there's nobody, then, then your clients are upset there too. Right. And and one thing we did to mitigate the risk in that regard is we knew that there was a possibility that it would really blow up. And it's a, a good thing and a bad thing that it didn't. But we only opened up 20 slots. So if 25 people would have signed up, we would have sort of onboarded the first 20. And then we would have hired an additional agent before we onboarded the other five clients. Okay. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
If you travel a lot for work or for a vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. So 20 customers would have gotten you to a break-even point, and you wanted to make sure that the systems and processes would work with those 20 before opening the marketing floodgates. Right. And more importantly, our coverage hours were central time, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Friday. And so the two agents allowed us to have one person work in the morning, 7 a.m. to like 5, and then the other starting at 10 a.m. and going to the 7 p.m. So there was some overlap during lunchtime, which is the busiest, but it, it was the minimum viable service level <laughs> that we needed to get started. Yeah, this is so interesting to me. And these agents are just working from their own home office. Yeah, one was my co-founder's sister that just graduated high school and she had you know nothing to do. And the other was a semi-retired mom of a friend of mine. <laughs> oh, okay. So it was really sort of relaxing. It, it wasn't a stressful hiring process. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I'm just thinking like, well, <laughs> okay. How did you figure out how much to charge these initial customers? So I simply went based, and I do this for every business I start. I simply went based off of the most competitive seeming companies in the space, right? The companies that we thought we would be emulating the most. Actually, I copied Gabbyville's initial pricing schedule. They raised their prices and we kept up the same for a while because they have an office and we don't. So yeah, I, that's what we did in the beginning. You kind of follow the leader on price. Say, hey, here's what apparently these bigger companies with bigger budgets, this is what the market is going to bear for this type of service. We're going to have lower overhead than them because they're not all sitting in high rent call center type of status and employee overhead and all this stuff. So maybe we have a little more margin to play with on the marketing front or whatever else you want to put it towards. Yeah. And another thing is part of my initial market research back in October prior to 2015 was we were getting a lot of information from random interviews the Ruby receptionist founder was doing. And one of the things I noticed was there was one interview where she had 5,000 clients and about 250 receptionists. So I knew then and there that there was a 20 to 1 agent to client ratio. And so I figured, okay, well, maybe we could sustain a 15 to 1 to start because we don't have the economy of scale yet, right? The other thing I learned is that their average client paid around $300 a month. So I knew that if we could get out to 250, that, you know, if we did 15 clients for every agent and then they were paying 250 
per client, we'd be at about thirty-seven fifty, you know, in revenue per agent. So I figured we could make those numbers work, and that was sort of my premise for for moving forward with the idea. At what point did you expand the niche beyond just cleaning companies? Which, by the way, I think is really smart to do uh, early on. Say, look, this is who we serve. We're not trying to be the call center for everybody. We're the we're the call center for the cleaning people. You know, I think that absolutely fueled these first seven to twenty customers. Yeah, it was very critical to gain our first clients. One to gain that sort of viability, making sure that we have our, our P's and Q's in place, the systems working. We actually started getting like other industry clients that found us. So one of the biggest things, and I think this is a real nugget here. One of the biggest things we did was we wrote a job ad on our page. Like a long job ad with everything we were looking for and, and blah, blah, blah. As well as the starting pay amount at the time of $10 an hour. And I think we posted it on like for hire the subreddit on Reddit. And one of the work from home blog picked it up, a huge one. I think it was Rat Race Rebellion. And once Rat Race Rebellion picked it up, a bunch of other large work from home blog picked it up, like they scrape each other's sites, it seems like. And so from that, literally, I think it was 50 to 100 sites within a, like a month and a half, picked up our site. And so we had these huge SEO benefits. Oh, okay. Okay. I was going to say, well, now you're getting flooded with applications, but not necessarily customers. But right. the, the other benefit there was the backlinks. Okay. Right. So, you know, it's funny because to this day, we've never put out an actual uh, job ad because of this. We ended up with, I think it was 60,000 applications in the first two years. Oh yeah. Just a tremendous amount of applications. How do you sort through that influx of resumes? Well, the answer is we didn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't. Yeah, it was unnecessary. You know, we, we looked at the applicants that everything was grammatically correct and they answered everything properly. So that, that canceled out about 70%. <laughs> yeah, sadly so. Okay. And then from the other 30%, we just interviewed, called, and, and phone screened and, and did our process until we found someone we liked. So simply getting the interview was like winning a small lotto. How are you integrating with the customer's system. So if somebody calls up, hey, I want to book a cleaning for next Thursday, how does the agent have access to to their system to put it on their calendar, see if there's availability then? It seems like there's a lot of moving parts here with different, I mean, all these different clients. Yeah, so that's another thing that we really had to learn. And I think this went on for the first almost a year. We were doing backend. So we would sort of gain access to that customer backend with the uh, username and password. And that information would be stored in a sort of cryptic way in uh, like the CRM profile for that customer. But very quickly, we grew to 30 different systems that each agent had to know. And we were doing all kinds of training videos and green share videos and it was too much. So what we ended up doing, and our competitors do this as, as well, is we just stopped doing backend and made things simple again. So, for instance, if we have a cleaning company client, they typically, if they're using like Launch 27 or some type of booking platform for cleaning companies, there's usually a form on the website that people can book their cleaning on. 
And so our receptionist would just go straight to the, the website and essentially book the cleaning on the caller's behalf. <laughs> okay, so the customer could have easily done it themselves, but they decided to use the phone instead. Right. And, you know, they wanted to answer questions and assure them and, and do that type of thing. So, yeah, we, we just go straight to the forms and book it that way. <laughs> okay. Was that a requirement for taking on new clients? Look, I need you to have this available to us on the front end? Yeah, and it just had to be some type of publicly accessible form. So sometimes the only people with a link were the agent themselves. And other times, like attorneys or other larger sort of industry, they have like a book a consultation form right on their site. Are you still running the cleaning company? No, I, that got acquired. And you know what? I have a great story for that one. <laughs> so early on, I, I we wanted to get to 20 clients in that first month again to cover costs as quickly as we could. So I decided to cold call to make that happen. The very, and I mean the very first cold call I attempted, the first number I dialed, a guy picked up and he goes, you know, I'm like, hey, this is down with Vicky Virtual Receptionist and some variation of how are you getting your phone calls answered right now. So how are you handling the phone? And the guy's like, wait, how did you know to call me? <laughs> and I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, I was looking into virtual receptionist company's answering service literally five minutes ago, and, and now you're calling me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and nowadays, you could probably do some sort of like creepy reverse cookie tracking and <laughs> the guy's number. Yeah, but a five-minute turnaround, I, I don't even know. <laughs> so he was sort of dumbfounded for the first 30 seconds. So I was like, no, I had no idea. Uh, you guys are just a great fit. It was a cleaning company that I called. We ended up talking about being fellow cleaning company owner for like a half hour in entrepreneurship. And so they ended up being a client, one of our largest clients today. They spent over like $15,000 in revenue total. And they were in New York, and when it came, literally in March 2017, my partner and I first had the conversation about maybe selling the cleaning company. Well, two weeks later, we get a call from that guy. Hey, we're considering expanding to Chicago where a cleaning company was located, and we figured we'd reach out to you first. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, well, we've been considering selling. So my partner and I had a, a number in our head that we were willing to sell for. So, you know, we sent over our numbers, really just like green shots of our revenue and stuff. And they sent over an offer that exactly matched what we had in our head. <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah, so just for the heck of it, I counted 20% higher and 90 seconds of deliberation, they took the offer. So my very first cold call was the reason that the cleaning company was acquired. <laughs> Best call I've ever made. <laughs> A six-figure cold call, my very first call on behalf of Vicky Virtual. <laughs> if only they were all like that. <laughs> so that's what it was, just going through the, you know, Googling cleaning company plus city name and seeing who would come up and, and just calling them up, see what their answering process was like? Yeah, and the way I generated my lead for myself was really low-fi. I just went to Yelp, and I picked a city. It was New York, and then you know I went down the list and wrote down the first like, 40, 50 companies and started to work my way down that list. So they obviously weren't all as successful as the first one. <laughs> what kind of take rate did you, did you end up seeing from those efforts? <laughs> well, the way I figure it is around 80 calls lead to a yes. And so I just sort of 
it's a low-cost or no-cost way to potentially create revenue. And so I was willing to do it. And so to date, for me specifically, it's around 80 calls will lead to a sign-up, which really isn't that bad. Dialing for dollars. I mean, you're an, you're an exit machine, first the cleaning company and now the virtual receptionist company that it spun off. I'm curious to see what <laughs> the future may hold for you there. What's cool about both of those is they're really sticky services. If somebody signs up for a cleaning service, they get used to paying for that month after month after month. Same thing with this. If they're happy with the receptionist service, I imagine they're going to stick around for years. In some cases, I imagine it's a really high lifetime value type of customer. It is. And our average retention is around, it's almost two years. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So when we landed someone, the lifetime value is just, you know, we actually didn't do this, but people are willing to spend a lot of money in order to gain a client because the retention is it's just so high. Yeah, Ruby in particular has been advertising on podcasts, or at least they were in years past, and, and spending some money up front to acquire that customer with the expectation or the hope that, yeah, they're going to stick around a long time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's a great service. It's something that small business owners, they might have been considering a full-time receptionist, but instead they end up going with something like ours and then maybe some type of low-cost VA for like the tax-based stuff outside of calls. Yeah, it's interesting because it's like you don't necessarily have the call volume to support a full-time in-house person, but you'd like to be available to answer the call when they come through. And so kind of a hybrid, like you said, hey, 15, 20 customers per agent. And those guys, I mean, are their phones ringing off the hook or are they, that's a decent, comfortable pace call volume? So the way we did it was we... And pretty much any company had to do it this way is we eventually, as we grew, grouped agents into groups of like five to six agents. And that group of agents would be responsible for 60 to 80 companies. And so one, you have the covers hours covered, right? And then two, lunch, it's inevitably busy. And so you maximize the sort of boutique feel of the company. So whereas all the agents, they can learn 60 to 80 companies and the nuances and the quirks, what the owners of those companies like. And then any company owner can learn the names of five or six receptionists. <laughs> but if you have a service where literally anyone can pick up the phone, you lose that sense of familiarity. Right. Yeah. There's a handful of people and I imagine customers, if they keep calling back and they get the same three, four, five, or six uh, receptionists, they get to feel like, yeah, this is a pretty big uh, company, but I get the same person over and over again. So I start to build a little bit of a relationship there. What prompted the branching out into legal customers, attorney customers, or law offices? Was that also cold calling or how did they find you? So yes, sort of a, a, a continuation from earlier. Once we gained the SEO benefit from our job ad, we had so much backlink juice. And so the domain itself ended up ranking for a virtual receptionist. Because virtual receptionist, if you type in that versus virtual receptionist jobs, some people confuse the two for one. And two, like on all of these work from home blogs, they are saying, hey, they're looking for virtual receptionists. <laughs> and so we ended up being associated with virtual receptionists. So from that benefit, attorneys started finding us. And we didn't realize how good attorneys were, how good of a fit it was until we started servicing those types of customers, and eventually they became so prevalent that now 40% of 
of our total customer pool. Was there any hesitation to be like, no, we're just for cleaning companies? Or were you like, hey, it's time to expand? Oh, yeah, no. There was never any hesitation in terms of saying, oh, yeah, we'll go ahead and onboard you. (laughs) So, yeah, that's what ended up happening. We organically landed different companies from different industries. And as we saw who was coming in and we served them, we got a sense of what industry generally represented a better fit. And so once we had that information, we started to target more companies from those industries. Okay, with a similar cold calling, proactive outreach? Yeah, cold calling, content marketing focused on on those industries, blogging, get blogging, that type of thing. And then also, of course, in terms of like Google ads and stuff. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask if there was any paid ads as part of the marketing mix down the road just to supplement really the organic rankings. Hey, somebody's typing in virtual receptionists, they're going to find us in Google there, but hey, we want to make sure they see us in the paid listings as well. Right. I can't remember when it's happened, but there was a, every now and then I would type in Vicky Virtual in Google to see what would come up. And one day I saw an ad for one of our competitors under our name. So if you type in Vicky Virtual, it would bring up an ad for, I think it was Ruby, actually. Okay, they're bidding on their competitors' terms. Yeah, so we started doing that as well. And that was also a very interesting moment because that's when we realized that we were on our competitors' radar. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, hey, we found this other company. Okay. So yeah, so that was another thing. Those aren't very expensive keywords to bid on. And you sort of benefit from the amount of traffic that is searching some of the larger competitors. Okay, I gotcha. So maybe they have better brand recognition, but for people typing that stuff in, you can still get exposure if you're willing to pay for it. Right. Or I suppose you could create content too, like, hey, uh, Ruby alternatives or competitor name alternatives or comparison and try and rank a blog post or something. Right. And those exist. I think we did a bunch of posts on comparison side-by-side of us versus competitor A, us versus competitor B. And I've seen that on plenty of the other uh, competitor blogs as well. Yeah, it's helping people make their decision. Those types of comparison posts do well. A very motivated customer is just, okay, I'm, I'm between these two options. I'm ready to go. Help me decide. And we tried to keep them positive and then, you know, mentioning one or two things that's different about us. In our case, generally, the, the main difference was that we were able to keep our costs lower because all of our agents were remote. And that also meant no background noises in terms of like being in a large office or call center. And then in addition, the agent groupings. Thing. So most of our competitors, again, they would just assign all companies to all agents. Okay. So one of the points of differentiation was as other companies raised their rates, you kind of kept them strategically lower? Yeah, strategically lower while retaining the same margins, or better in some cases, and then still retaining the boutique feel that felt almost like a local company and and allowed our sort of client to think that they have almost an in-house receptionist as opposed to a large organization. Did you do anything on the employee side to retain receptionists and keep them on the team? We talked about how sticky clients could be, but I imagine there's another part of this equation as well. Yeah. So in call centers in general, turnover It's one of the highest turnover industries there is. In our case, it was very low. So we had, you know, over a hundred different agents working for us during my time running it. 
And in the entire history since day one, we only had three receptionists quit. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, it's. I mean, you know, we let go of plenty agents, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, and, and you know, nothing egregious. But in terms of those that were quitting, three, and the biggest reason for that is they're able to just be at home. You're not dealing with the office wardrobe, the cost of getting lunch, all those weather considerations, driving gas. When you're at home, it's a lot more comfortable generally. Yeah, so it was considered just an attractive gig. Like, why would I want to give this up? Right, and then we also had the camaraderie of just being constantly in communication in terms of, like, Slack channels and stuff, and it's a fun gig. What kind of time, let's say, after you sell the cleaning company, what kind of time are you spending on this day-to-day? This is the beauty of it. All the All the clients are recurring, and as long as the phone system is running well, and the agents are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Once we got to a certain size, I only really had to spend five to seven hours a week on the business. So, you know, in the first year, we were doing the whole let grind it and, and really get things going, probably 40 to 50 hours, maybe 60 hours on a bad week. But in, say, 2017, about two years in, literally the entire year, I spent five to 10 hours a week on the business. <laughs> and what? And that was just kind of... Working with different team members or onboarding clients? Like, what was that time going towards? During that time, pretty much all I did was handle a little bit in terms of employee management. You'd have certain things that, that need to be handled. Let's say there's someone that's upset about something that needs to be talked out, like those types of things. And another portion was just uh, manually charging clients. The way that we charge clients is, you have your minute tiers, and if you go over, then there's a per-minute overage rate. So we'll calculate the overages, or I would. I would calculate the overages, put that on to the regular plan amount, and then charge the client. And that wasn't even something I had to do. I just wanted to. <laughs> and it was the call routing software was tracking all of that? Yeah, it, it tracks all kinds of stuff, and it's what makes things a lot more automated. What's the status of all the agents at any given time, whether they're on a call? And so it made it so that agents, like individual agents, couldn't slack off without their numbers and some metric being completely out of whack. And so it'd be easy to catch. Okay. Like, hey, you missed uh, three calls in a row. What's going on here? Yeah. I mean, that's a cool, obviously, a ton of work during the ramp up period to get it to that point. But then you kind of sit back and reap the rewards later on. So that begs the next question, why exit? If it's not taking you a ton of time, spinning off some nice cash flow, why get rid of that? Yeah. So for a while, I actually thought I was going to keep the company for 20 to 30 years and that would be it. Then maybe pass it down to my unborn children. <laughs> but I ended up getting a, a unsolicited offer. So it was sort of similar to how the cleaning company sold. You know, as of this past October, it had been almost five years, right? January 1st would have been five years. And I was starting to be ready for something different. You know, as an entrepreneurial person, I've started 11 companies over the past eight years, and four of them have sold. So I told you about two of them, but, you know, it comes a time when you, you just sort of decide that the passion isn't as strong as it was before, and 
there's other people that can sort of breathe that new, refreshing life into the company and take it to higher heights. And so that's sort of what happened. And the person that ended up buying it was a former business partner on a different project. So we had a, a good, long-standing relationship. And it was a very, like the first one with the cleaning company, it was a, a very casual sort of business deal that we got done. Is that a early retirement sum or is that you're still going to be figuring out how to fill your days now? What's <laughs> What are you working on now? <laughs> so I'll tell you this, for a lot of people, it would be <laughs> an early retirement sum. For myself, you know, I live in the middle of downtown Chicago and we don't have kids yet, but when we do, they're probably going to go to private school because I do not trust the Chicago public school system. So that's a very expensive life. So we'll, <laughs> we'll end up doing something. But for right now, you know, I've been mostly sort of relaxing. I did end up a little before we ended up selling, I had begun working on a course on how to start a call center, more specifically a, a virtual receptionist company. And so, again, the person I sold to is a friend of mine, former business partner, so he was completely cool with it. Oh, that's true. Now he, now you're like, hey, I'm going to make more competitors for you. <laughs> yeah, to an extent, I can't believe it. But on the other hand, I can understand why he did it. But yeah, so it literally just this past Thursday, I launched the course, and it's, an, it's called Call Center Cash. It's a blueprint to launching a seven-figure virtual receptionist remote company in 30 to 60 days. So, of course, you're not hitting seven figures in 30 to 60 days, but, you know, you can certainly get launched. <laughs> you will get off the ground and, uh, and hit the ground running like you did. I think that was just a, a really cool startup in niching down from the early days and kind of going going from there. Yeah, it ended up, out of all the companies I've done, it ended up being really the best business I've ever run. And so it's going to be tough to see what happens next, but I think there'll be some good things and good projects on the horizon. All right. If you hit up callcentercash.com slash Nick, Donald's put together a special offer for Side Hustle Show listeners. You can check that out. Again, callcentercash.com slash Nick. Donald, man, thank you for joining me. Thank you for sharing the ins and outs, the nuts and bolts behind a business model that I kind of thought reserved for much bigger operations, much bigger budgets. But here's how to get it done on a, on a bootstrap way and kind of scale it as demand increases. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. You know, one of the best ways to start a business that works well is to try to look into all the things that are currently pain point for you. And see if you can't start a business around that. And then also just a, a pseudo also tip. <laughs> There's a lot of industries, you know, 25 years ago, we couldn't have started a call center for this low a cost. So don't be intimidated about what you think you know about the industry. Look into what's available. See if you can reverse engineer it. And it might be approachable and doable for you. Very cool. Donald, thank you again. And we'll catch up soon. Tax season is upon us, my friends. And if you're scrambling to get your books in order, and you may be thinking, never again, this is the year I finally get organized, I want to invite you to check out our sponsor, FreshBooks.com, which helps you track income and expenses throughout the year. That gives you a real-time dashboard of your profitability, and it makes your taxes a breeze. Here's FreshBooks founder and CEO, Mike McDermott, on what FreshBooks does and who it's for. 
ridiculously easy to use invoicing and accounting software that's in the cloud so you can access it on any device. As I like to say, if you invoice, you need fresh books. We, we don't do retail. We don't do restaurants. We're just built for people who, who send invoices, get paid for their time and expertise. And we serve people with no employees up to people with a lot of employees. Side Hustle Show listeners can try FreshBooks free for 30 days at freshbooks.com slash side hustle. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle to test it out for free. No catch and no credit card required. All right, my top three takeaways from this call with Donald. Number one is to start with a niche you know or care about. This was key in the early days of Vicky Virtual. Like, look, we are the answering service for cleaning companies by cleaning companies. When someone knows and understands your pain points, it's an easy sell. Plus, Donald was already embedded in the community of cleaning company owners, so it wasn't a huge stretch to start that conversation. That's why one of the factors I teach in generating business ideas is to think of your existing network. Who do you know? What types of people do you know? And equally important, who do they know? The reason it's important is because it's a potential foot in the door. What kind of problems are they having in their business or what kind of problems do they face? It's a conversation that you can have that doesn't feel like a stretch. Now, that's not to say because Donald did his fair share of cold calling as well, but his initial traction came from those pre-existing connections. So start with a niche you know or one that you care about and you can always expand later just like Donald did. Takeaway number two is to research the competition or what alternatives are out there. I liked Donald's story of listening to the founder of a competing service on podcast interviews and using those interviews to uncover not necessarily trade secrets, but insights into how they operate and what the revenue and expense structure might look like. For just about every business model, there's probably similar content out there, either in podcast form, in YouTube form. So it makes sense to do some due diligence. And then you can apply the same strategy as Donald. How can we deliver a similar or better service and do it for less, right? Compare the competition and go figure out how you can be different because that's what potential customers are going to be doing anyway. And takeaway number three for me is if you eventually want to sell or you're thinking about eventually selling, remember to build a sticky service. Business buyers are attracted to companies with consistent revenue and preferably predictable recurring clients. We talked about this a little bit in our sweaty startup episode last month, but I like Donald's model of providing a reliable service that quickly becomes a part of his client's workflow to the point that they can't imagine going back to the old way. He said average customer retention was almost two years. That may be the most powerful lesson in this call is that when you're building a service like this, you're not just collecting the monthly cash flow or the annual profits, you're also building an asset that has value and could eventually be sold. Businesses like this trade on a multiple of their annual earnings, and that could be a significant payday like it was for Donald. Take that in contrast to the solo freelancer who has no recurring business. He'll never be able to sell. Think about your business as an asset that someday someone else might pay for. What kind of systems are they going to want to see in place. Think about building that sticky service. Once again, notes and links for this one, plus the full text summary with all of Donald's top tips from the call are at sidehustlenation.com slash Donald. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.